Our passage today comes from John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of our Lord. Heavenly Father, as Patrick comes forth to uh, bring us your word this morning, uh, I pray that your spirit would be upon him. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak through him clearly as he opens your word to our eyes and ears. And I pray that you would give us eyes and ears to hear the truth of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. Good morning, New City Church, and a happy first Sunday of 2022. Um, I think when I look back on the, on the last year, it was, 2021 was, was kind of crazy. Um, we spent our, our last week of 2021 um, quarantined. We had COVID in our house, so we had one of those weird Christmases where people came up to the window and said hi. Um, do not recommend. It was kind of weird. Our three-year-old daughter was very confused as to what was happening, but also very thankful that she still got gifts. Um, but uh, this, is our, this is our final Sunday of our uh, Advent series that we've been calling Post Tenebrous Lux or Out of Darkness Light. And we've been looking at um, just different angles of, of, of light, how Jesus calls himself um, the light of the world and how that same light transforms our lives, transforms the people around us, can even transform the way we live in our city. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at one more aspect of that this morning. Um, so before we do, let me pray for us uh, one more time. We'll dig into, into the scriptures this morning. Uh, Father, God, thank you. Um, thank you for, for this year, Lord. Thank you for all the blessings that, that 2021 had. God, the good and the, and the bad, Father, it's a reminder of um, just your goodness and your grace to us, Lord. And it was a hard year for many people, Father, and I just pray that um, your peace would, would surround them, um, your love would surround them, God. And uh, God, we pray for this next year that we would uh, just grow deeper in, in, in relation with each other, deeper in relation with you, Father. Um, so would you be with us this morning? We thank you. We love you for everything and pray all this in Jesus' name. Um, in in 1993, uh, a young 16-year-old boy named uh, O'Shea Israel from Minneapolis, Minnesota, he would, uh, 
he would end up going to a party that kind of changed the, the trajectory of his life. Now, O'Shea Israel, he was into uh, the drug scene and, and the gang scene. And that night, he met another young man named uh, Laramiam Bird. And they got into an altercation that eventually led to O'Shea Israel shooting and killing Laramiam Bird. Um, when uh, or O'Shea Israel, he ended up getting a, a 20-year um, guilty verdict. And Mary Johnson, who was O'Shea Israel's mom, she remembers sitting in the courtroom looking at O'Shea Israel, and she said, the only thing that I could think of as she was looking at O'Shea was, I just want to hurt him. And it's understandable because he had just, just killed um, her 20-year-old son. So towards the end of O'Shea Israel's 20-year verdict, uh, he got this really, really odd request, and it was from Mary Johnson. And Mary Johnson, she wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with O'Shea Israel because she wanted to know if the same man that had just killed her son that was about to be released was the same person. So the first time that they ever met and got together, they're, they're sitting in prison, and she realized that uh, O'Shea, he wasn't the same person. He wasn't this 16-year-old boy anymore, but now he was this 36-year-old this man. Um, and during this, this sit-down, they just started, or she started sharing these stories of her son, um, and, and it really convicted O'Shea. I think he realized, like, man, I took someone's son, I took someone um, who had dreams and goals and aspirations. And at the end of this meeting, um, Mary Johnson did someone that no one expected. She, she stood up, and she stood O'Shea up, and she hugged him like O'Shea was one of her own sons. And in an interview later, she, tell, she tells O'Shea that at that moment, I instantly knew that all the anger, all the animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for, for 20 years, I knew it was over. I knew I had totally forgiven you. Now, O'Shea's response was something that, that really stuck with me. I thought it was really interesting. And he tells Mary Johnson, sometimes I still don't know how to take it, he says, because I haven't totally forgiven myself. Um, these two, uh, they now, uh, they live in Minneapolis, Minnesota together. Mary Johnson um, actually calls O'Shea Israel one of her own sons. Um, and they live as next-door neighbors next to each other. So it's just an incredible story of, of forgiveness and redemption in these two people's lives. And I want to share this story because I think it really parallels with, uh, with the way that a lot of us live our lives, especially our, our Christian lives. Um, see, we have, we have the light of the world. There's this Jesus that we've been talking about for six weeks now living in us this promised Holy Spirit living in us, but we still live as if we're dead in our sin. We still live with the same words as O'Shea Israel, that we, to we haven't totally forgiven ourselves. Even though, you know, Jesus died and paid everything on the cross, we haven't forgiven ourselves. See, we still live our lives if we are unforgiven people. We still live our lives, um, or we don't know how to live our lives as, as reconciled and redeemed sons and daughters of Jesus. When I grew up, um, and I think many of us did, uh, we, we heard this, what, what we like to call the two-part gospel. I heard that I was a sinner and I needed someone, Jesus, to, to forgive me, to restore my relationship with God. And that, that is a beautiful story that God has shared for us. 
But that's an, that's an incomplete gospel in many ways because the, the gospel isn't just about God's redemption for us. It's about how he's restoring everything in this world. Um, Tim Keller says it this way, that you know, the two-part gospel makes it all about ourselves. Um, but, but the real gospel, it's not just a wonderful plan for my life or for your life, but it's a wonderful plan for the entire world. It's about the coming of God's kingdom to renew and to restore all things. See, the gospel is, is this picture of God's kingdom where the new heaven and the new earth will one day be united. And what is our role in that as we await that beautiful union? So this morning, I want to unravel how the light of the world, how Jesus, how he's finishing God's work in us to live the life that he has called us to. So our big idea this morning is that the light of the world not only redeems us, but he fully restores us as well. So in order to do this, what I, what I want to do is I, I really want to set up uh, someone's life. So I want to set up the life of, of Peter. And I think we can learn uh, just a lot about redemption and restoration when we look at the life of Peter. When, when, we, when we say the name Peter in, in the Christian world, I think uh, people kind of smirk because, you know, Peter's, you always read he's like the most impulsive, rash, you know, kind of crazy, very overconfident person. And you read the scriptures and you're like, yeah, that's kind of true. He is kind of all those things. Um, so in, in Mark 1, what we see is uh, we're, we're introduced to Peter. The, this Galilean fisherman is now a disciple of Jesus. In Mark 1, he tells Peter, follow me and I will make you a, a fisher of men. And in the next three years of doing life together, um, you know, he, Peter is now following Jesus, doing life with him, doing ministry with him. And all those things that I said about, you know, kind of crazy, rash, impulsive, all those things are really true. Um, but he's also really, really faithful and really devoted um, to Jesus as well. We see Jesus's, or Peter's faith in uh, Matthew 14 when there's, there's a big storm. Um, the, they're on the lake. The disciples are kind of scared. They, they think they see a ghost, but it's Jesus. And Peter has enough faith to actually step out of the boat, and he, he walks on water. We also see just how, you know, impulsive and, and rash Peter is when um, Jesus is, you know, they're praying that the guards come and he takes out a sword and, you know, cuts off the, the ear of, of a guard. Um, and the overconfidence of, of Peter, um, when Jesus is, is getting ready to wash all the disciples' feet, and Peter says, like, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus tells Peter, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Peter, in his overconfidence, is like, you know what, you're right. Wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my face, like wash everything. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take everything. Um, so that is actually where I want to uh, pick up the, the story from here. So a few verses after that, uh, Jesus tells Peter uh, something pretty specific. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. In the account in Luke, uh, Peter, again, in his, his overconfidence, um, his impulsiveness, he tells, like, Jesus, there, there's no way that I would do that. I would never deny you. In fact, Jesus, I will go with you to death. I will go with you to prison. There's no way I will ever deny you. So as, as the story continues, um, you know, they go to the garden to pray. He cuts off the ear. Um, Jesus is taking custody. 
Peter's kind of following around, like looking, like where's where's Jesus? Where are they taking him? And then this servant girl says, "Hey, this man, he was with Jesus." Peter's response was, "I don't know him." Little time passes by. Another man goes out to Peter and says, "Hey, you're one of them." Peter's response again, "Man, I am not." And then lastly, someone else calls out, certainly this man was with Jesus. Peter's response again, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And as, as he was speaking, as soon as he had finished speaking, the rooster crows. And there, there's this, this, this moment that as he denies Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter in his eyes and it says that Peter departed and wept bitterly. You know, when, when's the last time that you were just, just so caught in sin, so caught in, 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 in wrong that you just wept bitterly? See, Jesus and, and Peter, they, they had been through it all the past three years. You know, they, they were friends. They were together doing everything, doing life together. And now, and now Peter is, is telling people, I, I have never met this guy. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea who that person is. And as Jesus is staring into Peter's eyes, you know, think about just the, the, the pain, the shame, the guilt, the, the embarrassment that Peter's holding on to his life right now. But all of this happens before um, Jesus passes away. And then it says after, um, after Jesus resurrects, he actually appears to the disciples three times. And the, the first appearance is found in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear for the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this is the first time that Peter is seeing Jesus since the, since, uh, the resurrection. Um, everyone is there, minus minus Thomas and minus Judas, for obvious reasons for Judas. Um, and this is kind of where the rubber meets the road for Peter, right? Like, what what is he going to say to Jesus? What is Jesus going to say to Peter? I think we've all been in that situation where we get in a fight or in an argument with a family member or a friend, and you know you're going to see them again, and you kind of like play out the scenario in your head, like, all right, if... I know Erica's mad at me, so what am I going to say if she, like, says something? And you kind of plan out different responses to what, what they're going to say. So I, I really think that Peter was, was kind of going, um, going through that. So Jesus walks in, and he says, peace be with you. And of all things, Jesus talks about forgiveness. But what, what the, what's really interesting in the scriptures kind of talk about is he never pulls Peter away and is like, hey, Peter, I forgive you. Like, just don't deny me again. But that, that's kind of it. 
There, there's nothing else. He just says, you know, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them, talks about forgiveness, and not a, another mention of, of forgiving or reconciling or redeeming Peter. So I don't know what Peter was thinking. Maybe he was like awaiting a rebuke or uh, he was really scared that Jesus was going to yell at him. I don't know what that relationship kind of looks like, but nothing. So uh, the second appearance to the disciples, it's found in John 20, uh, verse 26 through 29. It's, it's eight days after that first appearance. Jesus appears to the disciples again, and it's the same response. Jesus tells them, peace be with you. But this time, Jesus decides to deal with the unbelief of Thomas. You know, Thomas doesn't actually believe that it's Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, like, look at my hands, and, and you know, he... He deals with Thomas, and then once again, nothing to Peter. So at this point, I really, really wonder, you know, what is going on in Peter's mind? Is he thinking, was my denying of Jesus, was that, was that unforgivable? Think of how, how awkward, how tense that situation must be uh, for Peter. So this is where we're going to pick up in, uh, in John 21, um, and we're going to see how Jesus deals with Peter. Um, every, every pastor in the world calls John 21, they, they title their sermon, Breakfast with Jesus, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so Brandon actually read John 21, verse uh, 15 through 19. It's actually, we're actually going to look at the whole chapter here. Um, Sherry Ryan, if you guys know Sherry, she's on top of it. And she asked me for whatever I was going to preach on like a month ago. So I gave her John 21, 15 through 19. And I started preparing. I was like, oh man, I need the whole chapter. So that's why we're going to... Uh, read through the whole chapter this morning. So John 21, uh, verse one through four, says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two, other, uh, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So that's, uh, that's going to be our first main point today is that Christ's redemption in our lives is going to bring conviction. So at, at some point after the two uh, appearances to the, to the disciples, they decide to go to the, the Sea of Tiberias, and Peter um, he says, I'm going to go fishing. And it, it's interesting. Um, we don't know why, but John 21 is the, is the first time that we see Peter fishing since Jesus had originally uh, called him to follow him. So some people actually believe that, you know, the lack of recon, uh, reconciliation, the lack of redemption in his life, that Peter, has, he's almost quitting, saying, you know, my sin is in front of me. Jesus has dealt with the other disciples he wants nothing to do with me. So some people actually believe that, you know, he's going back to his old life. You know, I can't cut it as a disciple. I can't do this anymore. It is too hard for me to follow Jesus. I'm just going to go back and be a fisherman. Um, you know, maybe Peter thought that, you know, his denying Christ uh, had forfeited his privilege of, of being a witness to the resurrection. And maybe Peter just said, I can't do this anymore. And I don't know about you, but there, there are many times in my life where I feel like Peter, you know, just bogged down by my sin, 
ready to, to pack it in, feel unlovable, ready to go back to my old life. I know theologically the answer is yes, I know Jesus loves me, but in my heart of hearts, I just think, how? Why would Jesus actually love me? But Jesus, he has a, a different story of redemption and a different story of restoration for, for Peter's life. And he has a different story of redemption and restoration for Peter's life too. So the, the first thing I want to do is um, just kind of talk about the difference of redemption and restoration. These two words, I think, can, can often be confused or used interchangeably. Um, and they're, they're often used synonymously too. But redemption, it's the act of gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. So for us, it's, you know, we were, we were separated from God because of our sin, and now we are made right with him, and the payment was Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. Now, restoration is the act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. And that is God is actively working to make all things new in our lives. So our, our lives, this world, God is making everything to the way that it was originally intended to be. It's, it's kind of similar to the story with Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel, that, uh, you know, O'Shea was, was redeemed. Mary had forgiven O'Shea, but he still lives with the, I can't really forgive myself. He's still actively working out to restore that part of his relationship. I like to think of it uh, as, you know, redemption is this one-time thing, but restoration is actively happening. So I, I have been redeemed, and God is restoring me. It's something that we're going to work through in our lives. So how does, how does Jesus actually redeem Peter? If we look at John 21, verse 4, um, and we're going to look through a lot of different passages, we're, we're just going to see a lot of parallels between, uh, between Peter and his calling, and, and his sin, and what, how God is reminding him of his past. So in John 21, 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then in John 18, 27, it says, Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So I don't think it, that it's a coincidence that, that Jesus appears when, when day was breaking. So the, the scholars believe that, you know, where they were in the Sea of Tiberias um, where the, uh, and where they were standing, that whenever the sun rises, they most likely probably heard many roosters crowing in that area. So any time that Peter wakes up, any time that, that the, the day is breaking, any time that he hears a rooster crow, he is reminded and deeply convicted of the time that he denied Jesus. Will you continue reading in John 21, verse five through nine? It says, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. 
When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on, on it and bread. What I want to see here is, is John 21.9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. In John 18.18, 18, the night Peter denied Jesus, says, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So the night Peter denies Jesus, it was cold, and he needed, he needed a fire. And the, the only two times in the New Testament Greek where, where these words are found, where charcoal fire is found, is in John 21.9 and John 18.18. 18. So now as, as Peter sees Jesus, he's already you know, convicted. He hears the rooster's crow. He sees Jesus, and there's this charcoal fire. And he's once again reminded of the time he denied Jesus. John 21, 10 through 17 continues. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think this is the, the most known part of this passage, um, that Jesus asked the same question, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he asked three times to remind him of the three times that, that he had um, denied Jesus. And the scriptures say that Peter was grieved. Now, the literal translation of that was that Peter was, was distressed. And I think he was grieved, and I think he was, he was distressed because Jesus had reminded him of his past in a very painful past, uh, of him denying the person that just a few chapters before said, Jesus, I will go with you to prison and to death. See, there, there's deep conviction in Peter's life right now. He, he's standing completely guilty, completely exposed before God. He has nothing that he can say or do before Jesus now. So church, I want to ask you, what, what do you do when you are in that place? What do you do when you're in Peter's place? When you're completely exposed, when, when there's nothing that you can say or do, and you just know that you're, that you're caught in sin, that you just know that you're, you're sinful. Do you let it pass and just continue to live your life as normal? Do you go and, you know, just, just pack it in and say, I can't do this anymore. It, it, it's too hard. Or are you reminded of the goodness of God? Are you reminded of the grace that he has for your love or for your life? You know, our conviction, it should lead us to, to growth. 
And that conviction should lead to a, to a deeper love and understanding of, of, of God's his plan for us, his love for us, and, and what he wants for us. See, conviction that leads to growth, you know, that is a small example of, of that restoration that we have been talking about, of how God is making all things new in our lives. So the question is, you know, what, what does Peter, what does he do with his conviction? That's going to be our, our uh, third point here is that it's restoration through redemption. So how, how does Jesus restore Peter? So what we're going to see is even more parallels between, between Jesus and, and Peter and how Jesus reminds Peter uh, of his past. And as painful as that might be, how, how it was really, really good for Peter. So let's look at the, the similarities of, of Jesus calling Peter and then Jesus ultimately redeeming and restoring him. In Luke chapter 5, verse 3 through 8, um, it says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Again, this, is, this parallels exactly with the first eight verses of John 21. In Luke, in Luke 5, Peter, is, he's a professional fisherman. He can't catch anything. Jesus says, just throw the net on the other side. In John 21, Peter, Peter's fishing again. He can't catch anything. They see this, this guy that just says, hey, just throw the net the other way. And they recognize it's Jesus. And, and both times, the, the nets are overfilled with, with fish. The, the big difference that we see here is that in, in Luke, Peter says, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. And in John, Peter, he realizes it's Jesus. And his reaction is he, he gets out of the boat and starts swimming 100 yards because he realizes he's that same sinful man. But this time, he knows that he needs redemption through Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 17, this is when Jesus calls Peter. It says, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And in John 21, 18 through 19, Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And after saying this, he said to them, he said to Peter, follow me. See, Jesus is, he's almost recreating the scene for Peter again. He's almost recreating that, that initial calling. Um, and it's a, it's a forgiveness and a restoring of Peter's life. Even in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of, of being completely exposed before God, before Jesus, Jesus is restoring him. He's putting Peter back in, the, in his place as being a disciple without Peter even knowing what's happening. And the, the, the crazy thing too is, you know, our sin doesn't cancel us from being sons or daughters of, of Jesus. 
Peter's sin had not changed his calling on his life at all. In fact, his calling got even a little more important. Jesus said, Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of, of man. And then in John 21, he says, Peter, follow me and tend my sheep. Peter, follow me and, and feed, my, feed my sheep. Peter, follow me and shepherd the church that we are about to um, grow here in Acts. He went from a fisher of men to a shepherd of Jesus' flock, the entire church. It's a beautiful picture of Peter being redeemed and ultimately being restored back as a disciple. Jesus says, yes, Peter, I know that you have sinned. And he says that to all of us. Yes, I know that you have sinned. Follow me. I think when, when the, one of the dangers of reading this, this passage is I think we can read it and um, just think like, okay, it, it might be just okay to sin. You know, Peter sinned pretty badly and Jesus you know, kind of gave them a more important calling. Um, and if that's what you're thinking right now, uh, Paul says in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Then on the flip side, I think, um, and this is kind of the, the ditch that I fall in, is I've been redeemed by God, so now my, I guess, calling in life is I can never, ever, ever sin again. Um, so I remember when I was in middle school, I used to go on these, like, youth retreats, and um, I'd come back and get, I'd be on this, like, spiritual high, and I would make these promises to God, and I would say, God, I am never, ever going to sin ever again, starting right now. And then I would sin and I would be like, all right, that one didn't count, God. Like, obviously that didn't count. Starting right now, I'm never gonna sin. And it was kind of just a process for me. So I, I think, you know, sometimes it can be like, oh, you know, it's okay to sin because grace is, you know, it's, it's big. I'm never gonna sin again. But, it, you know, it's a process for us to know that, um, yes, we are gonna sin, but, it, um, you know, Jesus' grace is enough for that. But at the same time, we are called to obedience. We're called to, to conform to the image of Christ. And even in Peter's life, after this, this redemption and restoration in his life, you know, Peter's still messed up sometimes. Um, there, there's a, a pretty pointed one in Galatians 2 where uh, Peter kind of forgets the gospel and, and Paul has to um, kind of call him out. And uh, Peter, he, he thinks that, you know, in order to follow Jesus, you need to be, you need to be circumcised, which, uh, and Paul reminds him, no, we're not, we're not justified by our works, but we are justified by our faith. And I think that's a reminder to all of us that um, this life, this restoration is, is a continual process for all of us. You know, we aren't going to be perfect. We are made alive in Christ, but we will fail at times. But what we need to strive for is obedience to Jesus. So that begs the question, um, you know, what does restoration kind of look like in your life? You know, what are, the, what are the areas? How has Jesus restored those broken areas of your life? A few examples of this is, you know, Mary Johnson, she joined a support group um, to help other parents who have lost um, sons or daughters to help them walk through life. Uh, maybe it's my wife who walked through her parents' divorce as a seventh grader. Um, and now help speak into teenagers' lives about how God is a, is a perfect father. Now, what are those really hard areas of your life, those really broken areas of your life that God is now restoring? It's still hard, but he, he's making those things new. You know, the, the enemy often likes to tempt us with things that, that we've done in the past, right? 
you know, the, the pain and the brokenness of the past. Peter, how can Jesus really love you when you denied him three times? And it's by remembering that Jesus, he redeemed Peter and has a great plan to use his life and to build a church around Peter. In Peter's own words, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think as a believer, as believers, we often get bogged down by our sin. We often get bogged down by the pain and, and the sin of, of, our, of our past and just, you know, the pain that, that it brings with that. So I want to ask you, you know, how do you see the kingdom of God advancing in your life through brokenness? Church, every story of redemption, every, every story of salvation, every mended relationship is a beautiful picture of that restoration process happening in front of us. So I want to close with this story of how God is redeeming um, just a broken place in, in my life and how he's, he's using it to restore and um, just a picture of um, what that looks like. So this is a, a picture of our upstairs bonus room. Um, it was originally intended to be a placeholder for, uh, for my mom and dad who lived with us. And the plan was that they were going to live up there and eventually we'd finish the basement for them. Um, and they would move down to the basement. And this room, it had a very plain. It just had a, a bed, two nightstands, and a, a TV and a table. Um, in November of 2019, the, the plans kind of changed. Uh, my mom, she, got a, she had a heart attack um, on November 19th, and she passed away five days later. So the next few months were, they were really traumatic for me, just having to go into this room. Um, and then, you know, a few other things had, had happened up there where I couldn't, I could not go upstairs in my own home. It was just this, this really hard and broken and dark place. So much so that, you know, if I needed something from upstairs, I would get this, this anxiety, this, I, I just can't do it. So I would have Erica go upstairs and print something, go get something. Um, I don't know if you've ever lived in a place where, um, you know, there's just a lot of pain and brokenness in that. Um, so this is a room that, that felt like absolute darkness to me. Um, luckily for, for us, you know, as believers, that, um, you know, as we've been talking about this, this post-Tenebrous Lux, uh, we don't want to live, we don't want our home to be a place of darkness. We don't want our home to be a place where, you know, we can't even go upstairs um, and we have the hope of the gospel. We have that light living in us. And we wanted our home to be a place of, of light. So Revelation 21, you know, it says, Behold, I am making all things new. And as I read that, I, you know, we're thinking, this has to be our, our, our house too. You know, we can't be scared of that. Um, so we, we, decide, we prayed and we decided to, um, you know, live with light and not in darkness. So we decided to make it into a playroom for the kids and, you know, it's something really, really small, um, but a, it's a place where, you know, I feared going upstairs for six months. I feared, you know, just trying to live in that, that darkness and brokenness. And now, as hard as it is, you know, that right where uh, Haven and David are laying is, is where I found my mom. Um, and it is now a place of, of, of joy and redemption and God restoring this 
broken place in my life to now a place where I can see my kids growing up and, and having fun together. So it's a, it's a really small example. But for us, this is an example of how we see the kingdom of God advancing in our lives. So church, I want to ask you again, you know, what are those areas in your life that aren't redeemed, that aren't restored? What are those broken places that you can let God really come into and start seeing restoration in your life? You know, how are you going to let God into those areas? Let's pray. Father, thank you for redeeming us. God, thank you for for restoring us, Father. Thank you for the gospel, God, that that you created and and we fell. God, but by Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection, we can have a relationship with you, Father. And thank you that ultimately you are making all things new in our life. Lord, we're thankful for your gospel. Lord, thank you. We're thankful for this church. Lord, we pray for this, this next year, God, that we would just fall even more in love with who you are. God, thank you for for everything that you're doing in our lives, the things seen and the things unseen, Father. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.